The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, it's Jesse. We're taking a week off this week while we produce some programming for later this fall, some really cool episodes. But in place of a new show this week, I wanted to bring you something really amazing from our archives, something useful. This is a conversation with Dan Pink. I wanted Dan to explain to me how he uses his mornings, because I always think that I should be getting more out of my mornings, that there's something I can do to make my whole day work better if I can get it right. And Dan assures me that that's actually true. He'll walk us through it. I hope you love to listen and then get in touch at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And while I have you, we are counting down the days to the launch of my new book, The Family Outing. It's a memoir. I am so nervous to share it with you all, but also so excited. And it would be really helpful to me if you would consider pre-ordering it. That's ordering it before it comes out in October. Uh, You can do that anywhere you buy books. Okay, now on to the show. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. So if you've listened to the show, you might have noticed something that our guests seem to have in common. Most of them have given a lot of thought to their morning routines. Most recently, there was career coach Jerry Colonna. I wake usually between five and six. I make coffee or tea, and I journal, and then I will sit in meditation. Eat, Pray, Love's Elizabeth Gilbert devotes her mornings to writing. So for me, my best self is between 6 and 8, 39 o'clock in the morning. You know, my mind happens to be that I wake up really sharp. So I take that, I take those two hours. Those are for me. And then I give a much degraded version of myself to the rest of the world for the rest of the day. And then there was Apple's Angela Ahrens. Yeah, I longed to get up in the morning. I got up, I didn't have to get up at 5 this morning. I got up at 5 this morning because I love that two hours of reading. And my problem is I'm reading four or five things at a time and I need to just read one and get done with it. We're seeing a pattern here, right? For a lot of folks, mornings are our most important and productive time. And starting them off thoughtfully can set us up for more powerful days. So what's going on during those first hours of the day? And... More importantly, how do we get the most out of them? Today, we're dedicating a whole episode to mornings. Our guest is Dan Pink. He's the author of many books, but his latest is called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Dan's done a lot of research on timing. He groups people into three categories. There's the larks, or the morning people. There's the night owls. And then there are the third birds, who are in the middle. But they kind of skew toward morning, too. Our conversation gave me lots of ideas on how I want to shape my mornings. I hope it does the same for you. Here's Dan. So, Dan, we're talking about mornings this week. Tell me about your morning routine. My morning routine is extraordinarily exciting. Here's what I do. I wake up. I usually wake up at around 7.20 or so. I often will set my alarm for 7.23. Why 7.23? It's my birthday, July 23rd. Um, <laughs> and so I'm a little bit obsessive about sleep. So I'll usually go to sleep a little after 11, wake up you know, a little after 7. In an ideal world, I will take a shower first thing. 
like before I even wake up, just stumble into the shower. Uh, stumble into the shower and then uh, then go downstairs. I'll have a cup of coffee. I will have a cup of coffee, uh, maybe something small for breakfast. I'm usually not hungry in the morning. Is this the level of detail you want yes, about yes, my life? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Because I could get into even more granularity, Jesse, if you no, want. No, no, no. I will. Okay. What, what time does your morning routine end and your day begin? What time does the curtain open? Okay. The curtain opens around 8.45 or 9. Okay. So I want to know what happens between 7.23 and 8.45. Okay. In an ideal world, a shower first, because a shower helps wake me up. Okay. All right? Um, I also uh, know the research enough that I don't believe in having coffee right when you wake up. I think the evidence shows that coffee is more effective, not immediately upon waking, but 45, 60 minutes afterwards. So then I'll have a cup of coffee. I, I plan on being the last person in America to read physical newspapers. So at our house, we get three newspapers delivered to our house. We get the the Washington Post, I live in Washington, D.C., the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. But I will regularly read. Guess what section I read first? Guess what I read first out of those three papers? Real estate section, Washington Post. Oh, interesting. I am a big reader of the real estate section. Very good call. But on a daily basis, I read the Washington Post sports section first. Okay. All right, because I'm still basically a seven-year-old child. So I will read the sports section first. I'll look at other parts of the paper. I will want to stay and read all three papers cover to cover, but I won't. I then will go into my office around 8.45 or 9. Uh, and that is when, as you say, the curtain opens. My office happens to be the garage behind my house, a refurbished garage behind my house. And so I go out the back door, walk 22 steps, unlock the door, and enter Pink Ink World Headquarters, a converted one-car garage. So listen, the reason I ask about mornings yeah. is because you have given so much consideration to timing. Yeah. And you have a theory about timing, and that is that it is really, really important. Explain to us why. Yeah. Well, the, my theory about timing is based on uh, a, a huge body of science about timing. It's not It's not a theory that I've sort of, not a philosophy I've confected myself. Um, I went back and, and, and looked. There's a huge amount of research on when we do things. And what's interesting about it is that it comes from many, many disciplines. This is, I think, kind of fascinating about how the world works and how organizations work is that everything is so, so, so siloed out there. And and I feel comfortable using – a lot of people use that word silo. I feel like I might have a special claim on that word since I grew up in central Ohio. So I know actually what a silo is. But you you have – so you have the, the world of, of the academy where as a writer, I spend a fair amount of time talking to academics. They are unbelievably siloed. They don't talk to each other. And so what I've discovered in, look, in doing this research on timing is that you have questions that are being asked. What's the effective time of day on our mood? What's the effective time of day on our performance? How, does, how do beginnings affect us? How do midpoints affect us? How do endings affect us? How do groups synchronize in time? And these questions are being asked in multiple disciplines, sometimes identical questions, but people aren't talking to each other. So the psychologists aren't talking to the economists. The economists aren't talking to the anthropologists. The anthropologists aren't talking to the chronobiologists. And I felt if you went wide enough and deep enough into this research, you could begin to piece together the evidence-based ways to actually plan out your day, among other parts of your life, day is only the beginning of it, in a more evidence-based way. And what is the real value of all those people talking to each other? As in the step back, what do we then discern about how humans work? 
at this particular level, what, what, what we realize is, is something I think monumentally important but often overlooked, which is that our brain power does not remain constant over the course of a day. Now, we see that in research in chronobiology. We see that in research in many of the medical fields. We see that even in research in social psychology and economics, in experimental settings where you ask people to do certain kinds of tasks or solve different kinds of problems. That seems to me a pretty big deal. I mean, that seems to me also like common sense. I think about myself, like, here we are, we are talking, Dan, mid-morning. Yep. It's prime time for us to be talking when it comes to my brain. Totally. If we were having this conversation this afternoon around 3.30, I would need a couple of cups of coffee to be this sharp. Right. Probably me too. But I think that in many cases in organizations, we're not intentional about that. We don't think about that. We basically assume that the way we schedule a day typically is that we assume that our brain power is constant throughout the day. That is not true. There are material differences in performance based on time of day. And you see this, again, in a whole array of research. So you look at things like, I'll give you an example, standardized testing. There's an important study out of Denmark showing that kids who take standardized tests in the afternoon score as if they've missed two weeks of school versus kids who take tests in the morning. Okay. So all of a sudden, you've called into question, yet again, the value of standardized tests as a policymaking tool. You see it in the medical profession, big time. So, I mean, I, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I would love for you to articulate it for our listeners. And I should say, I, you know, I, I recently had to have surgery. And after reading your book, I made sure that I was first on the surgeon's list so that it would be first thing in the morning. Okay, you seriously have kept me in the writing business two more weeks with that. <laughs> B- because like that to me is the, the one of the most important things. If you can avoid it, do not go into the hospital in the afternoon. The evidence is overwhelming. Nobody in my family is allowed to have an important medical appointment or go to the hospital in the afternoon. The evidence is overwhelming. And what is that evidence? Oh, okay, let's talk about hospital-acquired infections, which is a topic everybody likes to discuss, right? First line of defense is hand washing in hospitals. Hand washing in hospitals deteriorates significantly in the afternoon. This is the work of Katie Milkman, Jason Reese, and Heng Chen Dai, who looked, charted this at several thousand hospitals. Huge drop off in hand washing in hospitals in the afternoon. Look at anesthesia errors, four times more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. There was just a paper that came out maybe four weeks ago as we were talking here about uh, prescribing unnecessary opioids, much more likely in afternoon appointments versus morning appointments. You look at the prescribing of unnecessary antibiotics, which is one reason why we have hospital-acquired infections, much more likely in afternoon exams versus morning exams. Let's t- should we talk about my colonoscopy? So, <laughs> I don't know what. Let's talk about it. When I had the same. You know, I'm at the age where I had to have a colonoscopy, so I go. I, I had a colonoscopy at nine in the morning. Why? Because there's research showing that doctors find twice as many polyps in morning appointments versus afternoon appointments for the same population. So again, there are material differences in performance based on time of day, and we haven't reckoned with that as bosses as writers, as contributors to teams, as medical professionals, as patients, as spouses, as, as, as parents, as teachers, as students. Okay. So, Dan, I understand that if I am going to take on something significant, schedule myself for surgery, maybe schedule that big review with my boss, I'm going to avoid the afternoons. But if I, as a professional, 
want to do my best work all day, is there a way that I can make the afternoon work for me? Yes. And and again, I don't want to say that the morning is right for everybody because it's more nuance. It's more nuance for that. Here's what we know. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll steer this ship to actually answer your question here in a moment. Here's what we know. There's this, So we talk about, I'm a morning person. I'm an evening person. All right? It sounds like folklore, but it's not. There's a whole field of chronobiology that has explored the concept of chronotype, which is basically your propensity. Do you naturally wake up early and go to sleep early? Do you naturally wake up late and go to sleep late? Um, what we know in the distribution is that about 15% of us are very strong morning people. 20% of us are very strong evening people. Two-thirds of us are in the middle. But we sort of lean toward the morning side. We sort of lean toward that lark versus the owl side. And so – and what we know is that is that is this, that, that about 80% of us go through the day in this order, peak trough recovery. We have our peak early in the day. We have a trough in the middle of the day. Then we have a recovery later in the day. Owls, the 20% of us who are hardcore night people, very different. They hit their peak much, 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 much later in the day. So if you were an owl and I were an owl, I'm not. I don't think either one of us are. But if you, but if you, were, if you were talking to a hardcore owl, um, that person is going to be less sharp at this time of day that we're talking, Jesse, than he or she would if you were talking to them at 8 o'clock at night. Right. So – that group of people must have a set of strategies to navigate a world that is really just not exactly designed for them to succeed. A disproportionate number of them become self-employed because they can't abide by the traditional kinds of schedules or they suffer. They suffer from sleep deprivation and underperformance. Is there a way that you can train your biology into being something that you're not? Barely. I mean, really not. These are, you know, heavily imprinted. It's like, you know, it's uh, so our, our chronotype changes over over time. So little kids are very larky. People from the mid-teens to the mid-20s have a period in their life where they move much toward greater lateness. And then in general, most people, many people, um, return to larkiness over time. But it's very difficult to do. It's like if, you're, if you naturally wake up late and go to sleep late, uh, an 8 o'clock staff meeting is never going to be great for you. 8 a.m. staff meeting is never going to be great for you. And so you have to what what should be happening is that the organization should be accommodating the individual rather than the reverse. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, 
we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. You have pointed out that schools start too early. And in fact, I, I saw in the news yeah. this week that yeah. California is actually changing the start time of schools. Finally. Because yes. kids need more sleep. That's a huge breakthrough. I mean, it truly is. And there's a lot of evidence behind this. So what we know, okay, so it's not for all kids. So little kids are very larky. If You know, if you have little kids. Uh, I have a baby who thinks that 5 a.m. is the perfect time to wake up perfect. every day. How old is your baby? One year exactly. Okay, perfect. So you got about like 11 more years of larkiness. Could you just lie to me and <laughs> boil it right, down a little 10 bit? 10 more years. <laughs> Um, no, so so little kids very larky. They get up. So elementary school students, they can start school pretty early, but we, there's a biological change that occurs in you know the early to mid teens where we think older people think these teenagers are lazy. No, they're actually their chronotype is changing, often only for a ten year duration or so. But they just naturally wake up late and go to sleep late. And, what, and so what you have is you have the American Academy of Pediatrics has several years ago said, implored school districts around America, do not start school for teenagers before 830 in the morning. Don't do it. It's contraindicated by everything we pedi- – I, I mean, like, you, you trust your pediatrician, right? Yes. I, I love – I mean, my, my, ki- my kids are actually aging out of pediatrician, but we love our pediatrician. We revere our pediatrician. So imagine your pediatrician and, and my kid's pediatrician and other pediatricians in, in America linking arms, marching down Fifth Avenue saying, don't start school before 830. And yet most districts ignore that. Um, and the, the evidence is just overwhelming. Well, and so California, God bless them, signed into uh, – Governor Newsom signed into law uh, a provision saying – there's some exceptions, but in general, schools should start no earlier than 8.30 for, for teenagers. Well, Governor Brown vetoed that same piece of legislation though. Or let's talk about, say, the company that I work in. I am part of a global news team. Yes. We have reporters on the ground working in – Australia, Japan, UK, San Francisco, we all need to get together on video conference, and we do many times a week. The time never works for everyone. Exactly. Is there, is there a, something that you would suggest? Yeah, I, I, I would. First of all, let's, let's diagnose the problem, and let's, 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 look, let's look at the problem at the, at the root level and recognize that it is a problem that doesn't have an easy solution. So let's go back. Let's seriously talk about it in evolutionary terms. We have a brain that became our brain during a certain period of human of, of civil, barely even civilization of of of, of existence. Um, and when the time that our brain evolved, there were not hours, let alone time zones. It was impossible for there were no podcasts, Jesse. Believe it or not, because no. it was impossible. <laughs> for anybody to hear your voice who wasn't within your immediate sound of your voice. So our brains are not designed to have conversations with people in different time zones, all right? So our brains are just not equipped for that kind of thing. So it's never going to be perfect. I think that there are two modest Band-Aid solutions here. One of them is this. My belief has always been that we meet, we have too many meetings and too many conference calls in organizations. And so a way to solve this particular problem is as follows. You look at that conference call as a, as a collection of tasks to be done, questions to be asked, information to be discovered, whatever. 
and you say, in that basket of tasks, what can we do asynchronously? And there probably are some things you could do asynchronously. Take those out of the basket and have people do it asynchronously. So let's say your, your team of journalists say, let's, um, uh, let's talk about uh, some story ideas. Uh, let's discuss some story ideas. Instead of generating the ideas in real time, make those asynchronous, have people generate the ideas, share the ideas, and then do something, then, then discuss them synchronously, which you actually have to do. So, right. so make some things, that, take what's asynchronous and allow people to do it at their best time. The, only, and the other thing, which is a band-aid, is spread the pain. So just don't make the people in um, yes. Australia uh, have to do all their calls at 6 o'clock in the morning so the New Yorkers can do it when they're fresh and ready. And also, not all work is the same, right? There is work that takes a lot of firepower and thinking. There is Absolutely. work this that is really is, important. Right? And so how do we figure out when to do what work? That's a really, really important point. So among the things we know in, about the day is, as I said, our brain power changes over the course of a day. The changes are significant. But as just exactly as you say, Jesse, the, the right time to do something really depends on what you're doing. And so here's what we know. So go back to this, this pattern of the day that we have, peak trough recovery, peak early, trough in the middle of the day, recovery later in day for 80% of us. The owls out there who are, might be listening to this at 2 o'clock in the morning, you should be doing your work because you're at your peak right now. You have your peak <laughs> at you know, much, much later in the day. But here's the thing. During our peak... That's when the key aspect of the peak period, whether it's early in the day or late, is that that's when we are most vigilant. What does it mean to be vigilant? Vigilance means you're able to bat away distractions. So that's when the research shows we should be doing what's called sort of broadheading of our analytic work, which is basically work that requires heads down, focus, attention, um, analyzing data, going over the steps of a strategy. I would, I would actually put writing in that category because as, you, as a writer, you know that the moment you sit down at the keyboard, the whole universe begins conspiring for ways to distract you. That's so, called the internet. Yeah. So you want to be at your point of lower, least distractibility. So we should be doing our analytic work during the peak. During that trough period, early to mid-afternoon, what we should be doing is we should be where we can is grouping more of our administrative work, work that doesn't require massive brain power answering our routine emails, filling out expense reports, whatever. And here's the problem. Listen, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be saved, but I know that I'm, fl I'm a flawed and, and I need salvation. I, I try not to do this, which goes back to my morning routine. But, you know, on, on writing days, what I would sometimes do is the first thing I do when I come into my office at 845, showered and caffeinated and well-informed on the sports world, is check my email, which is a stupid thing to do. Right. Because I have this fleeting period of my peak vigilance and I'm squandering and answering emails. So I should probably shift those to that trough period. Now, the recovery period, and again, there are changes in mood. Our mood peaks, it drops, and then it returns. The recovery period, which for a lot of us is late in the afternoon, early in the evening, our mood is up, but our vigilance is not. So that makes it a good time for things that require more mental looseness. Okay. The mental looseness would be things like... Um, Let's brainstorm some ideas. You've been in brainstorming sessions where people are hypervigilant, right? That's stupid. That's a stupid idea. That don't, you want people to be a little bit looser. And so what you see, you see some really interesting experimental evidence is if you give people analytic problems that 80%, about 80% of us get those, are more likely to get those right in the morning and wrong later in the day. 
but owls are more likely to get them wrong earlier and right later. But you give people more um, what are called insight problems, which are problems that have not obvious solutions or require divergent thinking or, you know, like don't bend to mathematical logic. You and I are more likely to get those questions right later in the day hmm. and wrong earlier in the day. So so what we should be doing is our insight work later in the day. And, 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 and getting back to me for a moment here and my schedule. So what I do is I go and I try to do on writing days. I do my writing in the morning. I don't bring my phone with me into the into the um, into my office. I don't open up my email. I give myself a word count and I hit that word count. And until I hit that word count, I don't do anything else. OK, yeah. so uh, let's let's go back to mornings. Yeah. yeah. So if a lot yeah. if if you are a lark and I, I like that language, yeah, um, or in the middle, third bird who leads third le- bird, le- yeah, because like, I'm not a full fledged lark. I'm like, uh, if you look at the distribution, the distribution isn't a perfect bell curve at all. It's it's lumpier than that. So you have you have this really hardcore group on twenty percent on the on the owls, and then you have people who are who are affirmed larks, but then you have a lot of people who kind of tilt toward that. And I'm, I'm in the middle who tilts toward large. Okay. So here's another question about mornings. You talk about the importance of moments that allow us to reset, to sort of clean the slate yeah. and start over. New Year's is a great one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah set your resolutions. Yeah. But you can also create your own resetting moments. Totally. Right. Psychologically. So if you wake up and get a really bad start on the morning, let's say your, your phone, which is your alarm, which is true for you, I can see, starts blinking at you that, you know, you've got a text message from some relative and bang, you've gone down the left chute instead of the right chute, you're distracted, the day has started that way. How do you reset? Let me see here, what would be something? Let's say that, so let's say that one of my daughters were to text me early in the morning and she had some kind of problem. First of all, on that one, I would like, okay, that's that's a priority. That's more important than me hitting my 900-word mark today. So I would, I would take care of that. And let's say it, it meant that I didn't get into my office until, say, 1130. Um, that would be a bummer. But all I would do is say, you know what, uh, in that kind of circumstance, I would say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, for today, I'm going to refine the goal a little bit. All right, we're going to go for 400 words or whatever, 450 words. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to recognize that I'm going into this trough period because I'm starting writing at 1130. And by 1130, I'm starving, I'm sure. So 1130, I go in there. I probably say, okay, I'm going to reboot. I'm going to have lunch or something like that. And then I go into my office and say, all right, we're going to Turn the dial back, 450 words. You're doing it at a suboptimal time. So what I would do in that circumstance, and I, this, this makes sense because I can think of scenarios where I've done this. I use, okay, this is a little bit rigid, but it works for me. I use a the Pomodoro technique. You know the Pomodoro technique? No. Oh, my gosh, Jesse. <laughs> take notes. Uh, so Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. And there used to be in... I guess in Italy and other places, these kitchen timers in the shape of a tomato that one would twist and then, you know, to yeah. time your stuff in the kitchen. And so this is a technique based on that where what you do is you say you 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 do a particular task for – you can set the time for 25 minutes or something like that. And in the afternoons, I would do that. So I, I have a thing on my computer, 25 minute, and I just set it and I just go. And then I then it goes off for 25 minutes. I take a five minute break, and then I do another one. It's like intervals. Right. T- take and t- do another one. Take 25 minutes, five minute break. 25 minutes, five minute break. And I would do that to just power my way through those 450 words. Well, thank you. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. Um, and I'm glad that we talked in the morning. Me too, because I would have been a wreck later in the day. 
That was Dan Pink. If you want to hear more about his research, check out his latest book. It's called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. So this week, I want to try something new. I want to chat with you about morning routines. Now, here it's important to say that not everyone has the privilege of time in the morning. Maybe you have little kids or a parent you are caring for or roommates and no space of your own. If that's the case, I'm even more interested to hear from you. So join me for a live video on Thursday afternoon. If you're interested, follow me on LinkedIn for the exact details. And if you enjoyed listening, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. And join me next week for a conversation with Jessica Powell. A couple of years ago, Jessica quit her very senior job at Google. She wanted to try her hand at something she thought she'd love even more. And she had this advice for people looking to also quit their jobs. I think you have to be really honest with yourself about what you're solving for. Sometimes it's the need for recognition. Sometimes it's the need for for money or for power. And you can have a whole conversation about should we value achievement so much? Of course we shouldn't. But that's actually not productive when you're trying to figure out how to change your job. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Laura Sim. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that you mentioned that you you had a colonoscopy. So you are very comfortable sharing things about yourself personally. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess colonoscopy is pretty important. I mean... It's also funny. Colonoscopy is just a funny word. It's a really <laughs> funny word. It is a really funny word. But how do you decide what not to share? Do you, do you think about it? Or I don't, is it I, just I, like, I, is it, is it not, so uh, yeah, ins- Exactly. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not. It's, it's shockingly, not like, shockingly enough, I am not like reasoning through every disclosure. I'm just like whatever happens to come up in the context of the conversation. Right. But when it comes to th- more like affirmative things like, hey, here's a picture of me and my family on vacation. Like I would ne- I never put that up because it just seems weird to me. Like who gives a <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs>